Amen. 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 You guys excited about what's coming up? Yeah. Ready to get started tonight? Tonight we're going to be covering chapter 23. We're standing among the saints of the living God, and we're on the precipice of monumental events. We are just a few days out from the One Association Conference. I remember when we started with just a few brave men who were willing to give their life for Jesus and all of their life to Jesus. Now he has built a house of men who DCD, don't care a damn for this world or anything in it. A house of men who DCD, disciples, creating disciples. We're truly living in exciting times. In times like these, Justin and I can feel the nervous tension, even the excitement in the spiritual realm. As we're on the eve of battle, so to speak, our Father has brought about great and awesome events, and the dark powers of this present age are not happy about it. Can I get an amen from someone in the room? In pitiful attempts, those dark powers, they work to sow psychological ploys hoping to foment fear in our ranks of the faithful. We know our God, though, and we will not be giving in to such satanic strategies this evening. Well, tonight we will be covering a singular chapter, a singular topic, and unashamedly a singular outcome. Victory in the house of God. Are you ready for victory? Our Father has called us to be holy like He is. In that struggle of holiness, we may have to die a little bit. He has called us to be holy together and as one body united at His image. That holiness won't happen unless we're all doing it together. We need it like iron needs iron. He has provided a holy war. Say provided. Provided. He has provided a holy war. Think about that. To be waged by His holy soldiers and has determined a holy victory in advance. We have a victory that is before us that we're heading towards. This means by which we will, the means by which we will obtain this victory will be prescribed in the very text tonight. You're going to get the manual for victory. Amen. If you remember from last week, one woman, Jehosheba, remembered the indestructible promise of God. Were you thankful for Jehosheba? We were thankful for Jehosheba. Very excited to get to verse 12 last week. Her faith paved the way for conviction, courage, and right action to rise. By the end of the night, we will see the victory of God in all of God's people. But first, but first, we must clinch with their present situation. A wicked, bloody, thirsty enemy that is ruling the land named Athaliah. By the way, our unofficial title is, Gentlemen, You May Smoke This Evening. So we're going to pray, and uh, let's see who's going to pray. Tisdale, you're looking pretty sharp tonight, brother. you got a big smile. Oh, yeah. Why don't you stand up and pray for us tonight before we begin? Look at that beard. Desperate to be moved by your desperate to be transformed in your life. We're moving our hearts now. 
all the people of the land and brought the king down from the temple of the Lord. They went into the palace through the upper gate and seated the king on the royal throne. And all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet because Athaliah had been slain by the sword. Man, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, some might think it odd to be hoping for the death of someone. You know, if you're one of the ones or you have a family member that was praying for Donald Trump to die, you know, that's just not right, and I'm sure God will judge you for it. But it really just depends on who we're talking about. You know, I love the general that said to his soldiers, you know, you might think that it's your highest duty to die for your country. It's not. It's to make those poor grunts on the other side die for theirs. That is your highest duty. just depends on who we're talking about. When we're looking forward to death, we're talking about the death of our own sinful nature. We're talking about the death of God's enemy, Satan, and all the Rephaim that follow him. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight. Are you ready for it? So, Lenten, pick up again in verse 1 and read just that first portion. In the seventh year, Jehoiada showed his strength. Man, come on, say the seventh year. The seventh year. Seventh is an amazing number, isn't it? It's the number of completion. And in the seventh year, Jehoiada, who happens to be the husband of the woman we read about last week, he decides to show his strength. You know, but before we get into Jehoiada, we want to take note on what's happening during this chapter. We want to recap a little bit of last week. So last week in chapter 22, we read in verse 9, it said there was no one in the house of Ahaziah powerful enough to retain the kingdom. That's pretty... That's a pretty big travesty, isn't it? I mean, what would it mean if something happened in LCM and it was written down in the word of God that nobody was there in LCM powerful enough to continue on with the work? I mean, this is a really bad situation. This was a very somber time for Judah because, for one, the king is dead. You don't read about that too much in the southern kingdom and in Chronicles. But Ezra writes it in here and he notes that the king died. There was no one powerful enough to retain the kingdom for David's line. It looked as if David's line was cut off. Then we read in verse 10 of chapter 22, it says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. Man, this is going from bad to worse. An evil woman's plot... It's one thing if it's an evil man. An evil woman's plot is finally taking effect. She began to kill the remaining sons of Ahaziah. You know, it's one thing to have a bad king or a president. It's another thing to be a citizen of a nation while a coup is going on and an evil woman is pulling the strings. There is a whole subversion that's going on here politically that is causing the entire nation to be in turmoil. Brother Linton, will you pick up in verse 12 for us? And we're going to read and see just a little bit more how this has been unfolding over the last six years. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. You know, the worst part about this is that she reigned for six years. Six long years have gone by. I mean, we get a bad president in office that... You know, we're complaining about at least he's got a four-year term. This is six years that she is reigning. You imagine those six years are pretty long, huh? She wasn't elected. 
She didn't win at the polls or any Democratic National Convention. She took over the throne by force, and the people did not have a choice. They were subjected to this kind of tyranny. Talk about a nightmare. Talk about being in that kind of situation. You think it's bad in America? It's not quite bad yet. And if that wasn't bad enough, she wasn't just operating under her own direction. She was a plant from northern kings by marriage to subvert the southern kingdom. You remember who her mother was? Jezebel. Oh, come on. Tell me, there's not a man in the room that wondered why all of these warriors laid down when some wicked grandmother was killing kings. It's likely because there's a northern army that she belongs to and came from that is backing this political move. It's safe to say the odds are stacked against the Davidic lineage. It's safe to say in this point the odds are stacked against the promise. They're stacked against the kingdom. Things look dark, bleak, blurred, and blemished. The salvation of the world is on the line, by the way. If this one six-year-old baby boy son does not make it to the throne during an entire regime, during a tyrannical oppressor, then there is no Messiah. The salvation of the world is on the line. There is a war going on. I'm sure they're looking at it and they're saying, hey, there's a war going on and we're not winning. We have an oppressor in office over us and there's nothing we can do. You know, this is really not that different than how times have always been for Christians, though. Salvation looks like a bleak hope to the world around us. Darkness is ever increasing. And yet, that's never quite the end of the story. Things were dark during this time frame. But there was an exception. Somebody say praise God. Praise Praise God. God. Praise God there was an exception. It was one couple. One singular marriage. A daughter of the Davidic line named Jehosheba that we read about last week. And a priest, a son of Aaron named Jehoiada. Man, what a marriage. We have a daughter of David and a son of Aaron that are standing in the gap while their nation is going to hell in a handbasket. While many others had just adjusted to the occupation. They had gotten used to the tyranny. They had assimilated into their captor's regime. These two soldiers got out of the trench, a man and a woman who were standing together in God's name. They showed their strength. Remember when we shared last week, Jehosheba believed in an indestructible promise, one that was worth risking her very life for, because that son of David would produce the Messiah. They had a conviction, that kind of conviction that demands action. This is what real strength is. Convictions that are deeply rooted enough to produce real, right action. You know, it makes me think of Daniel 11, verse 32. With flattery, he will corrupt those who violated the covenant. We haven't seen any of that. But the people who know their God will, somebody say will, will will firmly resist him. You know, I love the NIV, but there's some other translations that say it a little differently. Anybody have an ESV? Where you at, Peyton? Not going to endorse the ESV, but it says it pretty cool. <laughs> but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Say that with me. Stand firm and take action. All right, all right. If we're going to do the ESV, I at least have to get an elder's favorite in the NASB. Amen. By smooth words, he will turn the godless, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God 
will display strength and take action. Man, that sounds like Jehoiada to me. You know, Judah, just in case we have someone who was born in the 1800s, <laughs> we can't forget King Jimmy. Yes, we can. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Say that with me. Do exploits. You see, those that have an indestructible promise, that forms deep convictions that turn into actions, and they begin to know their God in the struggle and do exploits. That's what this couple did. Amen. With that in mind, with us gaining strength for great exploits. You with me tonight? Yes! As we read these coming verses, we're going to continue to clench as necessary. Amen. But we are going to turn yeah. and mount our offensive. Yeah. Is there some DCD men in this room? Yeah. Brother Linton, if you pick back up in verse 1 and just start from the beginning for us. In the seventh year, Jehoiada showed his strength. Yeah. He made a covenant with the commanders of units of a hundred. Azariah, the son of Jehoram. Ishmael, the son of Jehohanan. Azariah, the son of Obed. Masiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. They went through Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of Israelite families from all the towns. When they came to Jerusalem, the whole assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. Oh, come on. What started with one life has become a family and it's now affecting the whole nation. We have men rallying to write vision. This can be exciting as we read it, but we want to take just a moment to think about what this would be like if you were sitting there. Imagine what's going on. As far as they know, their king is dead. They're doomed to live under this wicked witch, if you will. And they hear the king lives. Man, what that must have done in a man's heart when they thought that that son of David was not going to rise. But then they found out there was a king that was living. There was one who could take the throne. One who was worthy of it all. Imagine the joy and the excitement that they felt. The Levites and the heads of families wasted no time. Because that's what they were called to do. They took their stand. They took their stand by their king and their God and saw him anointed. We want to hand out a couple passages on that subject about the king who lives. Who wants Isaiah 9, 6? Nick, get it. Proverbs 24, 11 through 12. Amambola, you get that one. 1 Chronicles 12, 18. Hmm, who are we going to give this one to? Assad, why don't you get that for us? You can read Isaiah when you get there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Now, I imagine something like the Lion King is going on here. You know, that evil, wicked lion has taken over. They think that the son of the king is dead. And then all of a sudden they look and a lion is coming back. The son of the king is back and he's coming to take his throne. I'm sure they were thinking of this scripture for us. A child is born to us. A son of is given and the government will be on his shoulders. Hey, guess what? In your deepest struggles, when you're in the trench, when you're fighting in the, in the war and shells are being lopped over your head, mm. don't forget that there is still a king who is reigning on the throne. Oh, there is a on. son of a king that still exists. Amen. And what that caused in one couple is astounding. Remember that all of this is going to start with one couple who knew about this king that still reigned. 
Let's read Proverbs 24, verse 11 through 12. It says this, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does oh, come not on. he who weighs the heart perceive yeah. it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Praise the living God for one couple who is not willing to watch people stagger towards death. Be drugged away into captivity. You know, it's been said evil exists because good men do nothing. I beg to differ tonight. Men who will not do anything are not good regardless of what their moral beliefs are. But we knew nothing of this. Yeah, that's what they all said. We had no idea you were in prison. We didn't see you sick. We didn't see you in trouble. But men who have convictions show up in their actions during difficulty. Our God has placed us in a setting where we can learn from his word and the testimony that has gone before us some things we just cannot watch and be silent about. Maybe the other men didn't know that there was still a king. Whether they knew there was a king or not, they had laid down their weapons, laid down their arms, and were not resisting what they knew was evil. Something in this one couple had that indestructible promise where they were not willing to give up. We need more couples like them. Couples like that can change the world. Against all odds, one couple stood up on their own convictions and acted in righteousness. I mean, can you really imagine being that one couple? This evil witch is reigning, and she has killed all the other sons. And you secretly have to make a decision. Risk your own life or stand back and do nothing. Risk your own life and hold in this little child. If she finds out about it, you are dead. But they chose to act on their convictions. Who's got First Chronicles twelve eighteen? This is a good one. Then the spirit came upon Azariah, chief of the thirty, and he said, "We are yours, O David. Yes. We are with you, O son Jesse. Success, success to you, and success to those who help you. For your God will help you." The spirit of God came upon Amasai. And what the Spirit of God led him to do was make a proclamation to the king and say, we are yours. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success. Success to you. I am pledging everything I am towards your success. I am pledging to ride with you in battle. I am pledging to follow you through the worst of the worst, through the cave of Adullam. Even though there may never be a palace, I am living for your rulership on the earth. Amen. The Spirit of God came into this couple. And they decided to stand with the success of David's lineage rather than this wicked witch who was ruling over the kingdom. And guess what? After Jehoiada's stand, something amazing happens. The whole assembly started to follow them. Oh, come on now. Man, how powerful is it for just one couple to stand up and take a stand for righteousness? How powerful is it for one man to take a stand? When you do that, the entire assembly will follow. In a risky situation, their heart's desire was to unite with the king despite the cost. This was a little boy. He's six years old. And yet, they believed in the indestructible promise. In a risky situation, it was their heart's desire to align with the lineage of David. This willingness to unite with the king despite the cost is how the kingdom advances. Amen. That is how the kingdom advances in all of our lives Everywhere we see it, whether it's on the mission field or here in Houston, Texas, the kingdom is advancing by force and the violent take it by force. That is how the kingdom advances when despite the cost, 
We unite ourselves with the king. That's how it advances in our home. That's how it advances in our heart. If this didn't happen, we would not have a Messiah. If these two people, husband and wife, did not take their stand despite the cost, against all odds, we would not have a Messiah. But you know what? This is what I say, and this is what I know you say too. Come what may, but he is my king. Yes. I DCD about my life. I am a soldier of the king, and his success is my main priority. Amen. Amen. Brother Linton, read just a little bit further for us. The king's son shall reign. Ah, no, no, no. One more, one more time. Read that again. Jehoiada said to them, The king's son shall reign, yeah. as the Lord promised concerning <laughs> yeah. the descendants of David. The king's son shall reign. Yeah. Man, you want to talk to me about a statement of faith? Be standing before the event has happened and say, The king's son shall reign. Yeah. Jehoiada knew what God's will was. He knew what was promised to the Davidic line. And he's standing there saying, the king's son shall reign. You want to be a witness in the world around you? Have a holy, undeterred confidence in the rising son yes. of David in your eyes. Yes. Something men can see and believe in that is not based upon your own merit, but is based upon the promise of God. We are going to learn how to say this in our current battles. The king's son shall reign. One more time. Say it with me. The king's son shall reign. We are going to learn to say this in the trenches, in the thick of it. When you're being bombarded, your emotions in your head are spinning. The king's son shall reign. He will reign in your situation. He will reign in your home. He will reign in your workplace. He will reign anywhere you declare him king. One man believed in the indestructible promise. He and his wife. That promise produced in them a conviction. Somebody say conviction. conviction. That conviction, something that was determined by the promise of God, produced in them courage. Courage that led to action. Action that will lead them to victory. Somebody say victory. Victory. Come on, repeat this after us. Say it. Promise, promise leads to conviction. Leads to conviction. Conviction leads to courage. Leads to courage. Courage, leads to courage leads to action. And action always ends in victory. You can't have one of those without the others. You cannot have victory without action. You cannot have action without courage. You can't have courage without convictions. And you can't have convictions without a promise. We would do well to meditate on the promises of God in our lives, to this church, to our body, to our families. Because when we do that, when we meditate on those promises, when we understand the promise of God to us, it puts a conviction inside of us. It puts a deep-seated conviction that can't be taken away. And when you have that burning, deep-seated conviction, it always results in courage. What we tend to think about courage is it's just something that must Somebody musters up in the moment and it's not. Courage is what is placed in you prior to the battle. Courage is your convictions being displayed in the moment. Courage is you having those convictions formed in you. And then when it's time to have those convictions tested, you rise up in courage despite the fear and you put it into action, which leads to victory. Oh, come on. You know, we want to talk to you a little bit about some of the convictions we hold just to give you some examples. I have a promise of God for my family. That promise of God to my family has led to certain convictions. One of those very deep convictions that I have 
is that I don't let brothers go to battle alone. I do not let brothers go to war alone. I don't care who it is, what they're doing, where they're going. I don't care if it's dangerous. When I heard that these men were going to Turkey and Iraq, I said, you are not going by yourself. I'm going with you because I don't let men go to battle alone. When I hear Cody's going to Mexico, I don't have to pray about it. It's a conviction that's inside me that gives me the courage, even though there might be cartel there, and it results in my actions. And we see victory every time, don't we, brother? You know, a lot of people think that Justin and I became close friends because we traveled together. Well, it's true. It definitely affected our relationship. Some who are newer in the church think it's, oh, it's because they preached together. The reality is that our friendship was forged because of a conviction that I don't watch my brother suffer alone. Time sitting together somewhere at 3 in the morning with water pouring out of a ceiling or working on a floor built the bond that we have. You know why? Because it wasn't based upon a momentary emotion. Didn't have to muster the courage to do it then. It was based upon a conviction that produced courageous actions. The Lord would have to tell me not to help my brother. The convictions that we must have as a body are ones that are for the Lord and for his people. That you DCD anything else. That will produce the courage that you need when you face those moments. When you face that battle. The areas in our life where we're swirling and don't know what to do. Where we have our helmet of salvation turned sideways. Those are areas that we have not previously formed a conviction. But praise the living God, we get to recognize that. So I'm forming a conviction about how I'm going to handle this now. Yeah. You want to hear another one just while we're on the topic? I've got a promise of God for my family. The Lord's going to take us somewhere. Therefore, I have a deep-seated conviction that I will not go against anything these pastors say. If the pastors and elders are in unity about anything in my life, that is what God is speaking to me. You know what that has done? That has given me the courage to do extraordinary things because I have the benefit of these pastors inside of my life, and it's a conviction that's settled. And that courage has allowed me to take extraordinary actions to do extraordinary things. Amen. And I have seen victory through that conviction. Y'all starting to get it a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Promise always leads to conviction. Conviction always leads to courage. Courage leads to action. And action always results in victory. Say victory. Victory. You know, Jehoiada here is not walking through a park. He's seriously <laughs> risking his own life by doing this. Remember, sons of Judah have already died over this subject. But all the while, he is preserving salvation for the very world. Saints, when you, when I, if we stay in our foxhole, you may risk losing the next apostle, the next pastor, a future ministry partner, perhaps even your children's spouses. What you stand to gain by raising up, standing in strength, letting a promise produce conviction that leads to courage and right action, is the salvation of the very world and the people that are around you. Those convictions are things that your brothers need, that are life-saving, that are preserving a promise and the future hope of salvation. One of my, two of my brothers are sitting on the front row, one of whom is married to a woman from Mexico that we had no idea was going to be his future spouse. We simply had a conviction that it was the right thing to do to sacrifice and drive and minister here. We had no idea what God was building on his own through our actions. You have no idea what the cost of sitting in your foxhole or hiding in your house is. But if you stand faithful long enough, you will see the reward of it. That's right. Brother Linton, if you help us out and get through verse 4 through 6. Now this is what you are to do. The 
third of you priests and Levites who are going on duty on the Sabbath are to keep watch at the doors, a third of you at the royal palace, and a third at the foundation gate. And all the other men are to be in the courtyards of the temple of the Lord. No one is to enter the temple of the Lord except the priests and Levites on duty. They may enter because they are consecrated. But all the other men are to guard what the Lord has assigned to them. Man, Jehoiada is mounting a turn here. He is saying, this far and no more. He's saying, I am drawing the line right here. This is where we're going to take our stand. In the previous chapter, his wife hides the child in the temple of God. Y'all remember that? Now, her husband is stationing the priests and Levites in the temple of God around the king. You get the sense that this was a dangerous operation, like there might be some kind of counterattack. But they drew their line. Say, draw their line. Draw their line. They drew a line in the sand, and they said, this is as far as we're willing to go. Yes. We are not going to cross this line. We are going to wait for them to come to us. We are going to stand on the high ground, and we are going to make this hill the hill that is worth dying on. Yes. We are going to make this hill the hill that we are worth fighting and dying on. As soldiers, they were willing to either die or gain victory, and if need be, both. They entered into the contest and they said, look, we are going to fight here for everything. This is it. There's no second chances. We have got to take our stand. Tonight, we're going to take a stand. Tonight, we're going to take a stand for our families. There has been all kinds of demonic attacks in the last week or two. And quite frankly, I am getting excited about it. Because it shows that we are dangerous. It shows that we mean something in the kingdom. And he is afraid. We are going to take our stand. Brother Linton, get verse 7 for us. The Levites are to station themselves around the king, each man with his weapons in his hand. Anyone who enters the temple must be put to death. Stay close to the, close to the king wherever he goes. Come on. Ah! Priests aren't soldiers. <laughs> ah! Priests aren't warriors. Yeah, well, these priests were. Yeah. yeah. These priests were both Levites and descendants of Aaron. They were fathers, they were warriors, they were leaders, and they were soldiers of Jesus Christ, even if they didn't know it yet. The idea that pastors and men of God should have no fight in them is a wholly unbiblical idea. The biblical man of God is able to pray for his children, stand in the temple and be holy, and cut a wicked woman down who's coming too close. Saints, it's time for us to become more than just these strange characterizations of what we have said that we are or the world has put upon us. Yeah. Your soldiers are the living God and your priests. Every man and his weapon. There should not be a man among us in our house, in our temple, that is not armed to the teeth. Saints, we are under attack and it's getting kind of amusing. Yeah. We're watching demonic dreams, car wrecks, injuries, things that are afflicting the sheep. It's time for the priest of God to find their sword. Yes. Every man. You hear me, Nolan? Every man with his sword. No man asleep in this house. We have been entrusted with the son of David, and we will see him rise. Come on. They were all given weapons. Those weapons weren't for them, though. Those weapons were for the king and their brothers. They weren't hiding somewhere, worried about their personal protection. Oh, I need an LTC because I'm scared. <laughs> they picked up their weapons because they had a job to do for the king, and they didn't want to see their brother on the left and right fall. How badly do you want to see your brother on the left and right stand? Amen. 
That will show up in whether or not you're carrying your spiritual weapons when you wake up tomorrow. Whether or not you're arming your household for war and ready to fight on their behalf the next day. God is calling us to fight for our king and our brothers. Verse 8, brother. The Levites and all the men of Judah did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty. For Jehoiada the priest had not released any of the divisions. Man, you got to love this. Uh, how, how many guys in our, our room tonight have been in the military? Got a few of you. Those that were going on duty and those who were going off duty were not released, regardless of their divisions. Those who had leave time or time off got their passes revoked. They said, this is the time to fight. There is no time off now. There is no days off. This is seven days, 24 hours, always on the clock, ready for the enemy to come. Athaliah might walk through those doors with some northern soldiers, and we have to be ready to protect this little boy. Look, what I love about this, it says they weren't released regardless of their divisions. Yes. Regardless of their divisions, they were not released. And regardless of your divisions, you're not released until the king is fully reigning on the throne. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you are an elder. It doesn't matter if you're a disciple. You just walked into the church. It doesn't matter if you're a husband, son, little child. Nobody is released until... The king is fully reigning. We all have a job to do. And that job is to seat the king on the throne and make sure that he is fully reigning. Against all odds, no matter the cost, we must work together until the king is fully reigning. We've got to pick up the slack, y'all. We can't have somebody doing more work than the others. We don't take days off in this war. You know, we've got a real real battle to fight. And the more days you take off, the enemy's just watching what you do. When we're all standing together, full-time, fully alert, high guard, high alarm, the enemy is afraid. And you better take note, when a church is is on the offensive, ready for war, everybody's engaged. Everybody's listening. Everybody's coming to the service with a hymn, a prophecy, ready to slay a giant for their brother. And that is what is happening here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 9 and read to 10. Then he gave the commandments of of units of a hundred, the spears and large and small shields that belonged to King David, and that were in the temple of God. He stationed all the men, each with his weapon in his hand, around the king, near the altar and the temple, from the south side to the north side of the temple. Man, it's safe to say that David still providing for his generation's battles. Come on. You know, those shields and spears, they were plunder that David had gained. From supernatural victories. You remember those supernatural victories? You remember the supernatural offerings? Well, this was supernatural offerings that they were still using eight generations later. Come on, on, fathers. Come on, mothers. Teachers, pastors, elders. The weapons that you gain today, the weapons that you learn to use, the weapons, and I don't just mean the ones you find laying around. I mean the weapons that God gives you. The ones you train with. The ones you learn to take apart and clean and you become accurate and deadly with. Those are the weapons that will be used to secure and protect the promises God has given to your lineage. Look, I don't know when I'm going to die. But when I do, my son's not going to have me to fight the battles for him. You know what he's going to have? The weapons that I passed on. 
Those things that I gained from the war room of heaven and I learned how to use right yes. and I taught him how to use it. He will have those things and you never know. He may use those things to protect the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. This is how God works in our body. And thank God we have got a weapons cache all around us that the Lord has given us. You know, David gave to his descendants quite a few things. As we just read, he gave them weapons, spears, shields. He also gave them building plans for a temple. He helped provide the money that was required to build it. He helped provide the craftsmen to actually construct it using the materials. He also passed along a way of discipleship with Samuel that instructed the coming generations. And because we just want to and think it will help you, we would like to share something else that David passed along this evening. You good with that? Good, because it's what we're going to do. 2 Samuel 1, 17 through 18. We can put it on the screen. I'll read it to you. Verse 17. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. All right, now I know this is really fresh on your mind, but this is right after Saul and David have died and we're singing a song in mourning. It's kind of an awkward situation because he's mourning somebody who needed to die and it's an interesting setting. Verse 18, and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. Now, I'm pretty sure no one in the room other than Carlos knows what the heck I'm talking about. (laughs) But the lament of the bow is one of those things that all of us good church people have heard a thousand times and never checked to see what it is actually about. But I imagine it may change the context of 2 Samuel 1 for you. I'm going to read to you an excerpt from the book of Jasher. And Jacob said unto Judah, I know, my son, that thou art a mighty man for thy brethren. Reign over them, and thy sons shall reign over their sons forever. Only teach thy sons the bow and all the weapons of war, in order that they may fight the battles of their brother. Saints, we've misunderstood much of David's life at different points in time. He's staring at the men of Judah, not the men from Dan who came to him, not the great men from Gilead who fought and were among his mighty men. He's staring at the men of Judah, telling them, you need to learn this lament. Jacob had spoken to Judah and told him, your might Your strength is for the preservation of your brothers, and I charge you with teaching all manner of warfare, all kinds of weaponry to your sons, so that you might fight the battles of your brothers. David is staring at his own people, his own tribe, and he's saying, they're dead because we didn't do our job. Our job was to fight their battles. That's why God gave us the strength. That's why he provided the weapons for us. Saints, let me ask you in this room, before we turn in it, how have you been using the weapons that God gave you? Have you been acting as if they're there to fight your own battles, for your own great strength, for your own victory and your own holiness? Contemplate the fact that he provided weaponry for you for the sole purpose of you defending your brothers. Any area that you were mighty in, that you're devoted in, was never about you. It was only about your brothers and them succeeding in their battles. Oh, saints, I think this is a message that we need to learn to cultivate in our hearts during these days. Not just between now and the weekend, but in the years ahead of us. The weapons that were given to the sons of David, given to the house of Judah, were for their brothers. To see the king reign. To see God's house be extolled and succeed. The armament that God has given you is not about you, and it should never be about you. 
If you're lacking in armament, ask the God of heaven who cares about your brother and ask him to equip them for your sake, for their sake. Saints, when we are lacking revelation, you're lacking determination. Perhaps it's because we're asking with wrong motives, as the New New Testament epistles state. Our hearts and our minds must be geared towards the battle that our brothers have and doing whatever it takes to see them succeed. I know many of you have visions, you have hopes, you have things you want to accomplish now. But your weapons are for your family, and they're for your brothers first and foremost. Brother Linton, verse 11. Jehoiada and his son brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. They presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and shouted, Long live the king! Man, in the midst of the darkness, in the heat of the battle, on the ground, the very same spot that was stained with the blood of the royal family. They bring him out and they shout. Come on, let me hear you shout. They bring him out in the midst of darkness and shout, Long live the king! Yes. This is a public proclamation. Come on. In the face. Say in the face. In the face face of opposition. This is a public proclamation in the face of opposition. This is defiant, y'all. This is bold. This is relentless. This is joyful and faithful defiance. You better believe they brought out that little boy, looked right at Athaliah and said, Hey, long live the king! This is standing on the indestructible promise, being moved by deep convictions and having the courage to act. They're not having a secret meeting and sending out Zoom links. They are standing... Y'all like that? We're seeing so much of that these days, and quite honestly, it's pretty ridiculous. They're not having a secret meeting. They're standing on the high ground in the view of the entire nation, including Athaliah. They're standing on the high ground in the entire public, making a declaration and saying to that wicked witch, your reign is over. That's akin to looking at your battles and your struggles looking it right in the face and laughing with joy and saying hey you might have won for six years but guess what the king is still alive and he's got a lot more life to live i am going to win this battle this is defiant this is joyful endurance and this is the kind of joy that rises up in us when we actually really know the outcome of the battle and we know the outcome of the battle don't we we know it it says it in the last book Look, we want to hand out a few of our favorite scriptures on this topic. The first one is Isaiah 8.18. We want to give to Pat Rosales. The next one is Daniel 6.13. We're going to give that to Nick Rosales. And then, Glenn, you get Acts 26.25-29. We're just going to talk a little bit about joyful defiance. You want to hear about that? Yes. We're gonna. We've been fighting so many battles. I got to tell you, in our household, we've been facing some oppression. But you know what? Come here in a couple days, we're gonna stand in joyful defiance. We're gonna look right at the enemy and say, "You cannot stop us." Who's got Isaiah eight? Isaiah eight eighteen. Here I am. The children and the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells on Mount Zion. Now I know we grew up in a generation that, for some reason fantasizes about being a ninja assassin. We have other children 
Not ones in this room, because the ones in this room have good fathers that play games like Assassin's Creed. And somehow, we idolize the idea that somebody might secretly come in and kill people, and he's gifted, and he's shadow-like. I'm going to tell you this evening that there is no such thing as an assassin Christian. <laughs> there is no secret, stealthy, yeah. yeah. shadowy transmission of the faith. There are those that stand on the hill with the banner that God has given him and said, Here am I and the children he has given me. Amen. We stand for what is right on the mountain of God. Jehoiada is standing like Isaiah, shouting to the world around saying, This is the victorious king. He was a soldier in a great contest of faith. Not one being seduced, not one being sequestered, one standing on the mount of God. He was not concerned with the outcome. He knew what his God would do through the promise. It had formed conviction. Courage was rising. Right action was following and victory is on the way. He is, this is like him waving a flag when soldiers take a hill, saying, this is ours now. You can do what you would like. You may try and come and take it, but it belongs to my king. Good luck, buddy. Come on, where are my Texans? Come and take it. You want that cannon? Come and take it. Now that Jehoiada has established what the promise of God is, he knows what God has directed. He's not praying through this. He's formulated his convictions. He's not calculating now. He's not wavering now. He knows where God has told him to stand. So there he can stand in no other place. He stood in the open high ground with his sons and declared the rightful king. It's not our topic this evening. But shielding your children, keeping them away from a great contest of faith, not only is not biblical, it's destructive. They must see a great contest of faith in you. Give them something to follow. Daniel 6, 13. I love the fact that he doesn't even respond to the king. He doesn't feel a need to respond to the king of Babylon, the greatest king that was around in that time. He didn't feel the need to answer himself while he was still praying. He didn't feel the need to write on a 94 thesis and pin it on the wall in Germany, that kind of stuff. He simply just didn't pay attention. It's like the king forbade anyone to pray to the God of heavens. And Daniel's like, yeah, whatever. And follows the higher orders. He was a soldier with orders from his commander. No captivity would change that. Oh, come on now. He was a good soldier and he wanted to please his commanding officer. Against all odds, he would either succumb to fear or joyfully defy the powers of the air. Which will we do tonight? Come on. Against all odds. I mean, it looks kind of bleak. And we're either going to succumb to fear and stand by the wayside or we're going to joyfully stand up and defy them and say, you can't win, even though you might take me. When you know that you are standing with the king on heavenly high ground, which Daniel was, it'll give you a special kind of zeal and joy to stand against the odds. Come on. When you know that you're standing right where God has told you, you don't need to pray about certain things. You just take your stand and then you laugh at the opposition and say, well, I must be doing a pretty fine job that you're coming against me that hard. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. Amen. Yeah. He's got Acts 26, 25 through 27. And look, as we're turning there. 
I would be happy on a minute-by-minute basis to compare my prayer life with anyone in the room, and I'm not going to be ashamed. He takes the cake. When we're speaking about this, we're talking about not renegotiating what God has already said, not recalculating your circumstances based upon the promise, but calculating your circumstances based upon the promise that you already have. God is calling us to stand, and we can see that some of you are in a tug-of-war right now. We want you to win. We are going to win. We are going to win together. Acts 26. Paul says, I am not mad, most excellent Festus. I speak the words of truth and reason. The king before whom I also speak freely knows about these things. For I am persuaded that none of this is hidden from him. For this was not done in a corner. Wow. (laughs) It wasn't done in a corner. He wasn't a ninja assassin apostle. Oh. He was up on the hill holding his flag. <laughs> do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I love his audacity. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Paul said, I pray to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become not only almost, but thoroughly and altogether what I am. Except for these chains. Paul was a man who intentionally lived in joyful defiance. He intentionally lived in defiance to the powers of opposition in a way that was not done in a corner on purpose. He wanted them to know his life, his work, his testimony, his progress, but most of all, his God. They would see him in chains and out of chains. They would see that he had an indestructible promise. He was a proud soldier. Saints, we want you to be proud soldiers, not soldiers that are ashamed, not soldiers that are compromised, proud soldiers who know the king that you serve, who know those who serve alongside you. He was a proud soldier who knew he was on the winning side. His circumstances had no hold. They could not overcome him. He was on the winning side regardless of what that week looked like, even though he was a prisoner of war at times throughout his ministry. Now, I know many of you may feel like a prisoner of war on a given Friday, but you're not actually a prisoner of war. Paul was, and he set an example of joyful defiance for us. He was joyfully defiant despite his circumstances. Like Festus, this didn't escape the notice of Athaliah. They shouted these things from the high ground on purpose because they wanted them to hear it. Saints, do you reserve your convictions as a private, quiet matter and you don't explain why you don't attend something or why you can't participate in something at work? Or do you shout it from the rooftops because you know what king you serve and you want them to hear it? We want you to be proud soldiers of the king of kings. There's freedom in taking an open stand. The more open it is, the clearer the lines are. This one belongs to the king. You shouldn't ask him about that. Not unless you want to hear about his king. We must draw up our battle lines in our home. It's going to be a place where the presence of God moves, not any demonic activity, not any demonic thoughts. We will not give way to fear or watch it ravage our loved ones, watch it ravage our homes or our brothers. We're proud soldiers that will stand in the freedom that Christ has given us. There's a joy that comes from taking your stand on the high ground. Everyone, including the king, knows what side you're on. Man, when I can go see him on that day, I want him to know what side I was on. Brother Linton, verse 
You know, some of you are wondering what the secret is to having this kind of bold, joyful defiancy. Really where it starts is being bold and open about your failures. When you start being bold and open about your failures, and I'm talking when it's happening, we do this all the time. Yeah. I might be in the biggest hole of my own depravity <laughs> a certain week, and the first thing I do is go tell these men, and I don't leave any details out. And guess what? They are such good brothers that they come to me with encouraging words. But you know what it allows me to do? When I'm standing up in front of an en- enemy like Paul, I could say, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Take your best shot. You can take a public stand if you are used to taking a public stand during your weakest moments. Then in your victorious moments, when you are about to get a victory, you can stand on the high ground and proclaim it in front of the enemy. And that's how you will get your victory. It's a good word. Pretty good, isn't it? We We would do really well to practice that in our lives. What we like to do is we're embarrassed whenever we're failing. We're embarrassed when we're offended with somebody because we're like, if I go tell them I'm offended, you know, that reveals something in me, and I, I don't want them to feel that way that I feel that way. But if you immediately start taking action, if you immediately start taking the high ground in the open publicly on your failures, man, it allows you to have that joyful defiancy when an enemy is actually coming. You look at it and go, hey, that's not that bad. I got out of worse than this. Amen? <laughs> hey, let's read verse 12 and go to 13. When Adaliah heard the noise of the people running and cheering the king, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. The officers and the trumpeteers were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. <laughs> and singers with musical instruments were leading the praises. Then Athaliah tore her robes and shouted, Treason! Treason! <laughs> I'm sure that was not a pretty sight. That's nasty. Old Granny is mad. She's tearing her robes. And she's shouting, treason, treason. But you know what? I'm sure they were pretty DCD about how she felt. They were defying in praise, knowing she could hear them. They didn't care what she thought because they were standing with the rightful king. You know what this is really, though? When she's shouting treason, she wasn't that far off. It was treason. It was treason against the flesh. It was treason against this world system. Treason against the archons and the demons that have been controlling them for so long. They were finally in that kind of holy rebellion that needs to grow inside of us. That holy rebellion that looks at the world system and says, yeah, I'm going to fight against that. It's time to start a revolution. Enough is enough. I'm going to fight right now. Those who are in rebellion to the supreme commander, though, they will paint you as the traitor. And you need to know that. Those that are in rebellion to the supreme commander, they'll look at you and they'll say, you're the one with the problem. You are the one that's strange. You're the one that's, that's wicked and evil and aggressive. I mean, you're not loving. What kind of a place is this? You guys aren't loving. I wouldn't want to raise my kids here. They tend to do that because they are the traitors. And they want to paint you as the traitor so they don't feel like they're the traitor. It's kind of that rule that little kids do on the playground. I've got a problem with lying. But the more people I can call a liar, I feel like a less, less of a liar. If I can point you out for stealing, I don't feel bad about stealing that piece of bubble gum. That is exactly what happens when you take your stand. And we need to start recognizing it, especially in the holiday times when we're visiting with family members. They start to say the things that they say. And what we want to do is kind of, you know, give in to it a little bit, explain that that's not really the way it is. 
We need to see it what it is. They are not allied with the supreme commander, and they are the ones with the problem. We're standing on the high ground, aren't we? Call me treason. Hang me for it. The day that I got born again, I was turned against the enemy's kingdom. I committed treason that day. Let me tell you, you're only allowed to commit treason once in your life, though. You're allowed to commit treason to this world system, but don't you dare go back and cross over. We have drawn up clear battle lines in this house. Somebody say this house. This house. This is our house. This is our family. These are our brothers. Our battle lines are going to remain ever clearer, ever stronger, ever more potent and poignant about where we stand and will not turn from. We will see victory in this manner. No more straying to the left and right, seeing lives and time cut off from disobedience. We're going to help each other stand tonight. I said tonight we learn to take up the convictions of Jehu. I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. What do you and I have to do with each other? When you know who you are, you're a proud soldier. You know what you're called to do and where your battle lines are. You do not associate with things that are of the enemy's kingdom. You don't play around with them. You don't toy with them. You kill them on sight. Take up the attitude of a soldier of Jesus Christ and let the words of Jehu come to you. What does peace have to do with you? What do you have to do with a soldier of Jesus Christ? Brother Linton, pick up in verse 14 and read through 15 for me. who were in charge of the troops, and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and put put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priests had said, Do not put her to death at the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the entrance of the horse gate on the palace grounds, and they put her to death. You know, even Joab was allowed to die in the temple, and they seemed pretty adamant about making sure that she didn't. This woman was a daughter of Jezebel, And they saw fit to kill her near the horse gate. Justin and I were searching through commentaries and uh, deep Semitic language uh, work trying to discern the reason for this. Perhaps it's because of the things that horses pile up on the ground and there's just a great spot to kill her. In any case, it's safe to say that nobody was missing her. And they probably announced to all of the men, the entire crowd, gentlemen, you may smoke. Come on, say that with us, gentlemen. Gentlemen. You may smoke. smoke. That's Isaiah 4 5 kind of celebration, isn't it? 16 through 17. The Lord then made a covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Now, check this out. After the leaders have dealt with the wicked witch of the north, the people get the revelation for themselves. After the leaders make a public stand on the high ground, in the open, in full face of the enemy, when they put her to death, the people get the revelation. They finally see the thing that's been plaguing them the entire time. This always is the case in the kingdom. Once one soldier takes a stand... Against the odds, in the open, on the high grounds of conviction, it's inspiring. Yes. When you're on the battlefield and everybody starts to run, but you see one of your best friends stay behind and cover all of the other buddies, there's something inside of you that wants to turn around and help them. 
There's something inside of us that is built by God to see someone who is rising up in courage, and then it affects all of us, and that same courage pours into our soul. Isn't it amazing that in these deep, dark times, all it takes is one person to take a stand when no one else is taking a stand, and it can shift the entire paradigm of what is going on. It could turn the tide of a battle. We could be totally losing a battle, but one man take a stand, and then it rallies the rest of the troops to come and fight. When you see one man take a stand in faith, you rise up and say, hey, if he can do it, I can do it too. I know him. He's not different. There's nothing special about that man. He just really loves the Lord, and I'm not going to let him do it by himself. It's time for somebody to take a stand. When all else has gone astray, it's time for someone to take a stand. While others retreat, they may see you standing and come back. While many are retreating, they might see you taking a stand boldly. And they might get inspired by faith. How important is it not to cower in fear? How important is it to watch our leaders standing in the open and rise with them? Courage breeds courage. Just like success breeds success. You know what else happens with that too? Fear breeds fear. When everybody decides to tuck tail and run, because, to be quite frank with you, we might die. And when one man has courage, it has an effect on the rest of us. I'm sure there's been many times in this body and this year that some of us would have tucked tail, but we've looked up and we've seen somebody standing in courage. Husbands have the supernatural ability to inspire their kids and their wives. Wives have the tremendous opportunity to inspire their husbands and their kids. Pastors, elders have inspiring gifts of standing and leading a congregation by their actions. Tonight we're not talking about feeling the need to always be correcting someone. Sure, we can all do that. And it's quite necessary that we do so. But we're not talking about that so much tonight. We're talking about being an inspiration for others. Amen. If people in this room would look at you, do they find your life inspiring? I would bet that the answer is yes. I would bet that if we look into every single life here, we would see a radical testimony of overcoming against all yeah. odds. And you know what? I can point, I can point out, and I can call names right now, and I can, I can tell things that have happened in your lives that have encouraged my own soul. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I can see a hunger in Glenn's eyes for the word that inspires me. I can see courage rising in his life in a way that he had loved the Lord, but it's increasing every time I see him. That makes me want to grow on a weekly basis. That makes me want to stand alongside him. God has planted something inside of each of us that is meant to work together. In fact, we have weapons. And as Justin mentioned, your primary weapons are not what you think that they would be. Your primary weapons are a joy that cannot be conquered. A joy that is infectious. A joy that you need over the coming days. The immediate days. I want to see smiles in all of your faces. And the years ahead. Your attitude, your elevation, the degree to which you are walking in the mind of Christ is a weapon. That's not peacekeeping kind of stuff, saints. That's a weapon. It's one that is inspiring fear in the enemy and courage in your brothers. Shouldering your ability to come alongside each other and win in a battle you wouldn't win otherwise is a weapon against the enemy. 
Your spouse, your family, is not just something you maintain. You're God. It's not a garden. It is a weapon. God gave you godly offspring so that they might be arrows in the hand of a warrior. If you're keeping the crazy end in your house and just maintaining it, you're missing the point of a godly marriage. Your marriage is a weapon in the hands of God. Your giftings, your anointings from the Spirit of God, they're not for show. They're not to have 37 prophecies in a singular worship service. They're a weapon to counteract the enemy's schemes, to strengthen those, to warn men and keep them from sin. Man, I would love to see more prophecies that keep men from sin, not calling it out after the fact, but keep them from sin. Yeah. Your calling, your anointing, the place that you are headed for is a weapon in the hands of God. But more than that, it is a weapon in the collective body of Christ. There is no such thing as your calling. There is our calling in different areas of assignment. Your revelation is not for you. I know, I know. You want a revelation from the mighty king. You want to hear from God. You want to feel like you've got something in your study time. You want to correct a brother that's in your house or something. Lord, speak to me. (laughs) Daniel Cho is being so ridiculous. I just can't stand Caleb Brown, Lord. Give me the word that fixes the problem, Lord. Yeah. The words that God gives you are supposed to be a weapon. Not the kind of weapon that you stab your brother with. The kind of weapon you defend your brother with and keep him from sin and into righteousness. Inspire them with your revelation. Your endurance is a weapon against the enemies of God and an inspiration to your brothers around you. When you fight, when you work, when you suffer and do it with a joyful attitude and hear that part in the name of Jesus. It is a weapon against the enemy's kingdom and an inspiration to your brothers. If we could have anything more in this room, it would be joyful defiance, joyful faithfulness, joyful endurance in this house. All of these things were given primarily as an encouragement, as an inspiration, and a weapon in the hands of God for your brothers. There are times, consistently, regularly, when correction is required. That is exactly what Paul tells Timothy that the scripture is for. But your life's work and actions should not be a spear to everyone around you. They ought to be an inspiration. Amen. If those around you can't see the inspiring work of God, then we need to look inward and stop stabbing outward. A sacrificial nature is what we want to cultivate this evening. As soldiers of Jesus Christ, we sacrifice ourselves for the salvation of those that are around us. Let self-aggrandizement be far from us, that the power of God might actually be able to move through us. He will give us when we ask with right motives, when we pour out what has been given and do not retain it. I'm going to read you Psalm 119, 109 through 11. Though I constantly take my life into my hands, I will not forget your law. Now, that's very interesting. Constantly taking his life into his hands. That makes me think of Jehoiada. He's taking up the sword, taking up spears. They're getting together. Their life is in their hands for the will of God. But that's not all the import of that passage. The word for life, something Pastor Matthew could expound on further, but is nefesh. The idea is that he's pouring his very soul, his existence, all that makes him up into his hands for the will of God. He's pouring it out that his law might be completed. He has not forgotten it, even though it was hard. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Saints, we know that the enemy has been setting snares left and right all around us. But when we don't stray from the precepts, 
we will not be caught in them. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Saints, when you pour out your life into your hands, when you're nefesh, when your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and all of your being is poured out into your hands in the will of God, that is when he will fill you with power. That is when you will find a greater revelation. That is when you will see the might of your God. The end result of a life like that is that his statutes, his laws that have been completed in your life are a heritage forever, a heritage that produces weapons passed on to your sons, passed on to your brothers, and they are the joy of your heart. Saints, when we're really participating in what it means to pour yourself out for the Lord, it's inescapable. Joy will be in your heart. No matter how hard your life feels or your day feels, you will know when you're expending yourself for the Lord when joy fills your heart. They're inextricably linked. One is grumbling and the other is joyful service. This is how we tell the difference no matter what words are used. Hey, say it with me. What I do, what I have, what I receive is for others. You know, I'm sure the soldier who enlisted got a Thompson or an M1 Grand put in his hand, shipped off, thought that this weapon is to protect himself, that this weapon is to win the battles that the army sends him on. But you know what happens along the way? He gets really close to his brothers. He gets really close to his brothers. He starts finding out about their lives. He starts finding out they have kids. They spend time together. They go through difficulties together. They're shipwrecked together. They're stuck somewhere together. They're in a trench together and shells are coming over their heads. And then they learn that that weapon is not for the use of the army. That weapon is not used for protecting themselves. That weapon is for protecting their brother. That is the one thing you learn in combat is that you care about your brother so much you're even willing to die for them. Everything you have at your disposal is not for you. It is for your brothers. And quite frankly, I am so proud to be in a body like this that we know that. We are all gifted. We have weapons at our disposals. And for the most part, I see everyone using those things well. We come up. Just last week, I I had several brothers come to me with a word of encouragement. You know how much that does for me? You know how much it does for me to see a man like Adam Cora leave everything behind in a time of crisis, come to this church to be discipled? It inspires courage in me. You know what it's like to see Timo leave his family behind and stand on the high ground with God even though it's all odds are against him? It inspires me and gives me courage. All of these trials in your life, they're not just for a great testimony. It might just be to inspire the brother next to you in the trench so that you can fight the war together. Amen. Let's go on to verse 18 and get to 19. Then Jehoiada placed the oversight of the temple of the Lord in the hands of the priests, poor Levites, to whom David had made assignments in the temple and to present the burnt offerings of the Lord as written in the law of Moses with rejoicing and singing as David had ordered. He also stationed doorkeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple so that no one who was in any way unclean might enter. Now this is truly beautiful. After the witch dies, they return to the original standard. We preached about that original standard over and over and over. They're appointing Levites. They're appointing the same men that David appointed. They're returning to the law of Moses just like it's written in Deuteronomy. They're rejoicing and singing just like David had ordered. They're returning to the things that have been given them by their future past generations, rather. 
But you know what I want to talk about more than just that original standard? There's something that happens after you take your stand against all odds. Has anybody in this room ever taken a stand and then you have victory after that? You know that feeling you get? I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a rough year. I mean, going through some ups and downs. We're currently going through some trials and tribulations. But I know, because I've experienced it before, that after contests, battles, and victories, you find yourself returning to the original standard that was given you. You find yourself returning to your mezuzah in such a special way. Come on. You find yourself returning to your family banner in an incredible way. You find yourself encouraged and inspired to go back to the word that was spoken over your lives and over the church. There is something that happens after you take your sand against all odds and then you win, you have victory, it produces the kind of rejoicing and then you have this new connection with the original standard that you just love it more. Yeah. Yeah. You, you develop a connection and a longing with that original standard that makes your heart attached to it in a special way. There is a great benefit in standing against all odds. After the victory, you are brought to a new level of dependence. You're brought to a new level of joy, love, and peace in victory. You ever experience a really difficult time, and then you win, and you're like, man, we did it. We did it. We are alive. Man, we survived. We did it. And we stood where we were supposed to stand. You see, the opposite of that is so crushing. When you don't stand where you're supposed to stand, you're ridden with guilt. You're ridden with shame because you did not handle the fight well. But when you handle the fight well, man, that's a new level of joy right there. When you know that you know that you went through the battle and you stood where you were supposed to stand and then you get that victory, man, that's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? Amen. That is approval from the Lord. That is a testimony starting to build in your heart. We need to have encouragement tonight. We need to have the Amen. kind of... Before the battle kind of praise, knowing that we're going to come out of the battle with a testimony. If we stand where we're supposed to stand, man, what's on the other side is great. And you know what? It doesn't just happen once. It's a repeating process. You never really reach the end of those battles. You reach the end of a battle in a season, and there is that time of enjoyment and joy from the Lord. But you know all that is is just preparation for the next battle. But guess what? You get better at it. When you stand and you knew that you got victory before, you look at the next battle and you go, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. And you can start seeing it coming from a distance. You can start noticing it and preparing better. Man, everybody say, we did it. We We did did it. it. We did it. That is victory. Tonight, we are more than conquerors. You know why we're more than conquerors? Because we have that kind of great enjoyment, that kind of battle lust for the victory that comes from standing where we are supposed to stand. We have the eyes to see before the battle has started the outcome, and we know what it's going to produce, and that makes us more than conquerors because it's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do, and it's something that he allows us to do. This reminds me of 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19. Timothy, my son, and this is in the New Living Translation, by the way, I know some of you really bash on it, but I just like the way it said it here. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Other translations say engage 
the good fight. Fight the good fight. I'm praying tonight that the prophetic words that were spoken about this body would encourage you to fight well. Amen. That you would learn how to fight well like a good soldier who's proud to fight. Yeah. I remember a specific movie. They're looking at a Marine and they're saying, drafted? What kind of Marine gets drafted? truth is, is we signed up for this. We signed up for this because we love fighting for our king and taking our stand on the high ground. We are more than conquerors and we will fight well. Amen? Amen. And let's go back to verse 20 and go to verse 21. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the temple of the Lord. They went into the palace through the upper gate and seated the king on the royal throne. And all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet because Athaliah had been slain. I'm going to say it just one more time because I like it. Gentlemen, you may smoke. The wicked witch is dead. Saints, all battles begin with incredible odds. They look like broken arms and difficult work and doing it with a smile. They look like having trouble having children. They look like odds at work that do not match up. We know nothing about those. All battles have the same attacks. They change their guise, they change their label, but they're essentially the same things. Fear, worry, pride, depression, the idea that what you're doing is just fruitless and is never going to carry forward. Sickness. Man, have we seen some rounds of that, Pastor? Like, almost every time we're starting to turn the wheels of revival on a certain subject, everybody breaks out sick. And when you've been here long enough, you learn to recognize it. Death. We've experienced the reality of death. My family is sitting now waiting for someone to go be with Jesus. Death is a reality. We are soldiers, not impotent preachers. We're soldiers that must face the reality of these attacks. Desertions are a reality on a battlefield. Men lose their courage and they flee when they should be standing on your left and right. They desert you at the worst moments when they were supposed to be there to be your strength. Humbling things that are the tool of God to shape us and are the enemy working to squash you and steal confidence, to subtly erode your confidence. Demonic attacks from within and without. I don't need to take a show of hands, but I know many of you have had demonic dreams over the last three days to a week for no apparent reason. Seen people that are motivated by something that is not logical. There's a hatred that is in their eyes and you do not know why. Attacks during the day and attacks during the night. These things are working to erode your ability to stand with the living God. They're working to remove your confidence for the next act of valor that he's calling you to. They're working to compromise you and leave you useless. But our God has given us a supernatural confidence in this house. It's one that says the king is alive and the king shall reign. I am scared, but the king shall reign. I am worried, but I know the king shall reign. I have pride, but the king is worthy of all honor. He shall reign. I am dealing with this depression, but it is not going to define me. It's giving way to joy because the king shall reign. I'm sitting in sickness or a broken body, but the king still shall reign. In death or life, the king shall reign. In desertions and people shipwrecking their faith, the king still shall reign. Saints, we have to cultivate this kind of attitude. We have to recognize the tools of the enemy. Recognize our opposition. Maybe even look at it and say, gentlemen, 
it's time to smoke because you know it's going to fall. Even if it's not today, it will die soon. Truth is, is all battles have the same attacks. All battles begin the same. Incredible odds. As soldiers, we would do well to start paying attention to how these battles form. Yes. That's how we get good at killing the enemy. Yeah. Is we start knowing how he attacks. We start knowing which directions, which routes, which types of ground he likes to take. We get good at picking him off when we know how he attacks us. The truth is, though, we know how these battles form. We also know what these wars do to us. We're not going to talk about the depression anymore. We're not going to talk about the death anymore. We're not going to talk about the pride or the humbling moments. We're going to talk about the character that wars form inside of us. Yeah. Amen. All wars form the same character in us. They form dependence on the promise. They form that deep dependency on the promises God is giving you. When you stick your head out of the trench and bullets start flying, you really think real hard why you're here. You really think, what is causing me to be in this situation? To be quite honest with you, it's easy to, to tuck tail and run. That's why many do it. But what it does inside those who stand on the high ground is they develop a deepened dependency on the promise God originally gave. Man, that deepened holding on to the word that he gave, not looking for a new word, depending on the word he gave you. That dependence on the promise forms deep convictions. When you depend on the promise, you start setting lines in your, in your life and your heart that you do not cross. You start setting up convictions that guide you through troubling times. You start forming and forging inside of you areas that you will not go to, things that you will not look at, things you will not say, things you will not do because you have a promise. Those convictions go deep inside of us, and that's what moves us. Those convictions form into courage that shows itself in the time of battle. I am proud to see many men in this church that have rose in courage and done things like given a supernatural offering, that have done things and like reached out and delivered a prophecy even though they were scared. You know where that formed? In your convictions. Courage is convictions shown in the moment. Courage is what results when you have that conviction you form and the battle is happening. And that courage results in you getting up out of the trench and it shows up in your actions that seem impossible. This is what war does inside of us. Builds a promise. Gives you deep convictions. Courage despite the odds and actions that seem impossible. We should not be worried that we would have to go through the trial. But like James said, count it all joy, brethren, because these things produce in you faith that does not waver. It produces in you convictions that are unshakable. We should be asking the Lord for the trials. Come on. Amen? Amen. You know, at times, people have gawked at the way that, honestly, LCM knows how to celebrate. <laughs> Tell you, we know how to celebrate because we know how to fight and win. Amen. We know what it looks like to pour everything that you have into the hands of God and see victory. We know what it looks like to feel temporary defeat and yet trust that our king is reigning. All battles that we fight form unshakable bonds with those whom we stood side by side or shoulder to shoulder with. The way that we bind our lives together and form lasting friendships form lasting communities across states, across countries, and become the very arm of God. It's by 
fighting these wars together. Never underestimate the value of those friendships, of the bonding over sacrifice for the word of God. Not where you came from, not what language you speak, not what your preferences are or your personality is like. The men who sacrifice for the kingdom of God are worthy of standing by. And you know that they'll stand by you. Compare that list to your family. Compare that list to your friends at work. To the areas that we wish to acquiesce because of the pressure or some alleged feeling of loyalty. The men in this room I've seen more loyalty demonstrated from than any other group of people in my life. And that causes me to be bonded to you and your success. Amen. All of those things bring about a victory always. Victory is inevitable. Say that with me. Victory Victory is inevitable. Your fight is going to end. And you'll be ready for the new fight. And then that fight will end and you'll have victory. Then you'll be ready for another one and that fight will result in victory. And guess what? At the end of it all, the Lord is going to give us an imperishable body that cannot be succumbed to defeat again. It always results in victory. That victory brings that quiet restful peace that we so long for. Take a moment right now. Let's imagine that peace. That peace without fear. That peace without worry. That's what victory brings. But you have to stand on the high ground to get it. And you know what that peace is called? It's not just rest. It's shalom. It brings right order with God and man all around you. And when you have that shalom, it's inevitable if you stand on the high ground. You will have that shalom, and that shalom breeds the best kind of rest you can ever have. And I've experienced it. I know I'm going to experience it again. I know we're going to experience it together many times, and I'm excited about that. We want to close on a few scriptures that kind of envelop the themes we've been talking to you about tonight. The passages that we want to share are personal to us, but they're also quite frankly personal to all of us. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. They're the things that have defined us, that line our walls, that line our family banners and define the way that we act. I also want to give you a hint. We have something special with you this evening that we want to do when we are done. While we're reading these things, I'm asking you to look at it like our family banner, if you will. The attributes that have made us as a body, that have made us as a kingdom of priests, as soldiers of the living God. Go ahead. Would you stand up loud and proud with a warrior voice and read 2 Samuel 23, 13 through 17? I'm going to give two more out. Caleb, you read 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. And JJ, you get Psalm 118, verse 15 through 21. 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17 says this. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Raphaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistines' garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. 
Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives, and David would not drink it? Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. <laughs> Saints, this is more than a story. This is our character. This is our calling, and this is our life. I've watched members in this church, brothers in this church, realize the need of another and make all-night marches, all-day marches to see their brother succeed. Watch these pastors demonstrated again and again like Joshua, marching through the night to fight for those who were weak. This kind of expectation, this kind of holy zeal for the Lord, this kind of conquering desire has defined who we are. And we are going to grow in it in every area. Amen. We're going to see great exploits because our desire is going to be for our brother to have a drink of cool water. Amen. Amen. Whether he's from Texas or he's a Yankee, matters not to us if he's a soldier of Christ. Amen. These men, they had a promise. They were following David, the one who would reign over Israel. They had recognized who the true king was and their lives spoke a message that said, the king shall reign. They had a conviction. That conviction was to bring the king whatever he asked for or whatever he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Saints, that conviction is in us and must grow in us. Oh, yeah. Whatever he asked for, yes. no matter where it is or what it takes to get yeah. there, it is my joy to get it for him. Yeah. I'm going to let you in on a secret, though. Often getting something for the king looks like doing it for your brother. Even if it's not appreciated in the moment. Even if there's not gratefulness in the moment because you serve the king, you're a soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen. They had courage that came from those convictions. The matter was already settled for them. Yeah. They didn't have to sit and think about it, calculate. They had already decided whatever he asked. It was their job to get it. If they were killed, if they were captured, come what may, they were going to get what their king asked for. Their courage was displayed the convictions that they already held. Let your convictions be deepened tonight. Amen. Let it show up in courage in your life. They had actions, actions that were against all odds, all reason, all awareness, all rational thought. They broke through an entire garrison with three men. <laughs> Give me three fiery men that understand the promise of God. Come on. That have convictions that are based upon that promise. That have courage that is coming from it. And I assure you, we will break through garrisons of enemy lines. Yeah. We will see areas, families, and lives transformed for the name of Jesus Christ because we were humble men that trusted his promise and his work produced in us right action. They were victorious. They were the ones who were honored by the king and counted worthy. Everyone in this room has an opportunity to be among the number of those that were victorious. We celebrate those every Sunday that have gone ahead of us and have finished their race. Our goal, our lives, are about being recognized by the king, being welcomed by the king because he knows who we are and he has counted us worthy by his grace. Amen. Now, they didn't do it alone. They weren't counted worthy by themselves. They did it together. They worked in teams. They needed their brothers, and their brothers needed them. They were never recorded as being defeated at any point in time. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a couple battles that they struggled in. 
But they won. Yeah. LCM, I want to tell you that regardless of how bleak your current situation is, when you do not give up in the fight, but stand on the promise, the conviction, the courage, the right action with your brothers, you will see victory. Amen. The odds are actually in our favor. Favor. The enemy just doesn't know it yet. The world can't see it yet. But our coming king will be victorious and be victorious with us. Come on. The odds are in your favor, saints. Victory is in store for you. It is a certainty. It is inevitable. Come on. Against all odds? That's not really the case. When you do exactly what Judah just said, the odds are actually in your favor. There's no chance it won't happen. You know my favorite part about this story is David's response. David wouldn't drink the water that he asked for because he counted their sacrifice. He cherished those men so much that he would not partake of what they risked their lives for. That's a good king, isn't it? That is a king that is honoring our sacrifice. And quite frankly, I want to serve a king like that. Don't you? That leads us to our next scripture. Who's got 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10? I'm going to interrupt you quite a bit. 3 through 10? Uh, 4 through 10, sorry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand oh, come on. the left. Okay, so he said... We commend ourselves in every way. This is our Christian commendations. These are our medals that we get to wear. These are the commendations that come from serving a king like those three mighty men did. When you have a king that cherishes your sacrifice, it's not hard to go through this stuff. You actually get encouraged through it. You actually want to stand on the high ground for him because you know he's watching. He's not a king sitting in a high castle that doesn't know what's going on. He sees your sacrifice and he honors it. Keep going. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. (laughs) Treated as imposters, Mm -hmm. yet regarded true. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody. The king knows who you are. You are true in his eyes, even though you might be regarded as untrue. Keep going. As unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. (laughs) As having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is how soldiers are made. By going through these things. You You can't be a better soldier just by studying the word more. Just by praying more. Just by thinking, just by attending more services. This right here is how soldiers are made. They're made through dishonor. They're made through bad report. They're made... Through being genuine yet regarded as imposters. They're made as being regarded unknown. And yet they are known. They're made in dying every day. And yet living to die more. They are made in their beatings. And yet not killed. They're made in being sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing because they're serving a good king. They're made in being poor. And yet making everyone else rich. That is how soldiers are made. And you know what? This is what soldiers become proud of. Drafted. What kind of Marine gets drafted? We signed up for this. This is what we enlisted for. And you know what? The more we go through, 
This is what is our commendations and the more we get proud of. This is what we look at, at each other and we say, man, I love Linton because he is beaten and yet not killed. He is known yet regarded as unknown and I'm endeared to that and I want to be more like it. This is how the soldier of Christ gets his badge of honor. It's by having a promise, forming convictions, those convictions resulting in courage, taking actions, and then getting victory through these things. Amen. Amen. Let's pick up and end on our last verse in Psalm 118, verse 15 through 21. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. We're going to pause there for a minute. It's too good to move on. <laughs> Read it one more time for me, JJ. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Thanks. there's no question mark at the end of this statement. It's not a question. It's not a possibility. This is not about saints a long time ago, far, far away. This is a fact. The shout, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Saints, it may be a matter of time. It may be a matter of perspective. But it is a kingdom reality that we must grab hold of. That victory and joy belong to those that are righteous. Amen. Not just the man, but the whole tent. His whole household, everyone that is entrusted to you, because of a righteous life, joy and victory are your inheritance. The righteous know what it is like to stand against overwhelming odds. To be a man of God, you must face overwhelming odds. If you have not yet, you've not been living as a soldier of Christ, but today you can enlist. Over and over again. We will see victory. And you will learn to look forward to it. In fact, at times you might become a little bored when it's easy and be looking to see where the battle is at. Because you find the power of God in a supernatural joy and victory in the middle of it. Once again, it is a fact. Somebody say it's a fact. When thoughts are running through your own mind, through your wife's mind, through your children's mind, through your brother's mind, that defeat is imminent, remind yourself and them of the fact of God's word. Amen. Keep going, JJ. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. Yeah, he the has. Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Man, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. When you stand on the promise, form convictions, build courage, move in actions, you see victory, you will then see that the odds were actually in your favor. Because God's mighty right hand was with you. You'll never see that if you don't stand on those convictions. You'll never see that if you don't have those actions. But when you do, you look back and you say, it wasn't my right hand that did it. It was actually God's right hand keeping me going. He was the one that strengthened my hands. Sometimes it's good just to remember what God's mighty hand has done. And that will give you all you need to get through to where you're going. Let's pick up in verse 17 and 18. All right, JJ, I'm pausing you again. Everybody in the room, I, I will, will not, not die, die, but live. But live. Once again, we are going to take the word of God and apply it to our situation as the reality. Because the kingdom reality supersedes our circumstances. Yeah. Amen. And we'll proclaim what the Lord has done. Right. Yes, we will. 
Not only are we going to live through this, we're going to proclaim his mighty deeds. We're going to proclaim his testimony. I assure you, if you stand faithful long enough, he will give you testimonies. They come through horrific trials and victory. Keep going. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Amen. Our king is kind enough to chasten us rather than throw us away. To discipline us as the sons that he loves. To strengthen us and cause us to be able to stand. We face death over and over again. But his power works in those who strive to the points of weakness. When your soul, your nefesh, has been poured out into your hands and there's just nothing left. We find that death is not an end, but is a glorious beginning. Our king gives us new life when we hold nothing back. We're saying to you tonight, LCM, hold nothing back. Live out loud. Live all that you have. Let your whole mind, will, and emotions be poured into the Lord's work. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answer me. You have become my salvation. Man, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give you thanks. Say, I will, church. That is a bold, defiant, faith-filled statement. Yes. Against all odds. It only takes one couple, one man, one woman to stand up and say, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. No matter how I'm feeling. No matter what depression has come, no matter if I feel like the lowest scumbag on the bottom of the earth, I will give him thanks because he is my victory. Say it with me. I will. will. I'm not going to let my praise be stolen. I am not going to give the enemy a victory in the battle. I am going to give my king the glory during the battle, before the battle, and after the battle. And it starts right now. I am going to be bold, defiant, and faith-filled by saying, I will enter. This is how we do it in the open. Amen. We come together in the open, on the high ground, shoulder to shoulder, and we say, I will give him thanks because he is a great and mighty king. Our God is a warrior. He is a man of war, and he is going with us. Amen. And that is what we're going to do right now. Peyton has... A couple songs for us. And we want to stand together with that kind of defiant, joyful attitude, shoulder to shoulder, and say, I will give thanks to the Lord. He is a good and mighty king, isn't he? So saints, I have a question for you. If one couple can produce the change in Israel that we just saw, what happens if we have an army of the living God that are wholly devoted, sold out for Him. No reserve, no holds barred, holiness or die, trying. We might just see this earth changed. We have a singular song for you. We are not going to have any altar response. Every man is going to stand. No one will kneel. And we're going to leave our seats and we're going to actually come stand shoulder to shoulder together. Amen. Yeah. At that point in time when we have finished it, when we sing the song and it's a anthem for us, 
The pastors are going to direct us and they will pray for us. Now is not a time for mourning. Now is not a time for licking your wounds. Now is not a time for somber contemplation. Now is a time to believe in the promise. Let conviction, courage, and right action rise in your hearts. So begin to come out of your seats, fold together, shoulder to shoulder, and we're going to sing together for a little while.